everyone sounds similar in their passion to Miami, yet all of their personal experiences and what drives them are, are very different. Today, I'm joined by David Schwab, who graduated with a BS in marketing many years ago. So David, hi, and thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast, Beyond High Street. It's great uh, to see you. I can't wait to have this conversation. Other other side of the table for me. It's wonderful. Well, that's, a, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> Although you've, you've made it a hard act to follow, I have to say. I've, I've listened to your podcast. You've set a very high bar. So let me start off with some very important questions. You know, why did you choose Miami and the Farmer School? So you, you said many years ago, we can date it. That's fine. I started in Miami in 1990. So I guess that's 30 years ago. I went to Miami. I looked at Miami to play soccer, actually. I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Maryland. And uh, I, I thought the school was wonderful, but I also thought I had a chance to play. And so I was there for a few weeks early in August with the team. Um, and then the school started. And I think the coach and I didn't have a didn't come to an agreement on uh, where I would be in the out of the one to 18 on the team. And so we, we shook hands and, and I went off and, and never ended up playing a game. Um, Have you ever played soccer since? Do you still play or no? Play, play it weekly. Uh, have coached all three kids. Uh, not anymore as they've gotten a little older, but uh, love the sport and remain friends with many of the many of the guys that were there to play then too. What, what position did you play? I played in defense, so a center back or a left back position. Are you a soccer player? Oh, well, I was a field hockey player, so it's similar. And um, we, my youngest son used to be a Man City fan, so we would spend our summer holidays in the UK visiting soccer stadiums. What, what, who's your favorite team? I like Man City quite a bit. Um, I'm in the sports industry, uh, as from a business, so we represent players and we represent sponsors of teams. So you become less of a fan uh, of, of a team and more root for where the business uh, flows. Um, so that's that may be one of the negatives of being in the industry that I'm in. I've lost a little bit of that personal fandom. Yeah. So you, you, you took marketing. What leads you to marketing? I started in communications as a freshman. Um, and I... I wanted, and I really enjoyed the way to interact with people. And I was doing internships at home at a TV station and a radio station. And there was a lot of the verbal communication that way. And I, I thought there were other forms of communication and, I, and marketing felt broader to me. Um, and I felt comms would just fall under that from a practical perspective in in the world or the real world. And so I just made the shift. Um, so it was less about farmer and more of just a, a bigger piece of the marketing and branding of people, services, and products. Well, and of course, you've had a really strong career in marketing, people, services, and products. So tell me a little bit about what you do. You manage talent, you manage high-profile athletes and, and other professionals. How did you get into that business? Yeah, so I work at a company called Octagon. There's 800 employees. The chairman of Octagon is also a Miami grad, Rick Dudley. Uh, he was a beta, a few years older than me. And we do three things. We represent talent, and that could be anything from their, their marketing and contract negotiation to their handling their, their private investments and publicity and even legal needs if they come up, their personal branding. We represent companies that spend money in sports, entertainment, culinary, lifestyle, and figure out how to do that. 
where should they be spending th their dollars in experiential marketing, digital hospitality, or sponsorship. And third, we own and run events, golf tournaments, tennis tournaments, marathons around the world. So I, coming out of Miami, I had a job. I had an intern after my junior year at a PR firm in DC and started working there right after senior year. Well, I took two classes, summer school after senior year, which I enjoyed. That was a, that was a nice, nice transition. I, I did not want to leave Oxford, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked there for five years and I was doing an event with a, uh, an NFL player and someone at the event had come up and said, I, I like what you did. Would you come over and, and tell our, my boss what you do for a living? And that gentleman was, his name is Patrick McGee. He was at Octagon. And I started working there three weeks later. And that was 21 years ago. So, I mean, this is maybe a tricky question. You've been there 21 years. So, so tell me some of the more exciting campaigns you've worked on or brands you've managed. Is it easy to, to pass out and, and, and focus in on a few? Uh, I, I love to uh, solve problems and create opportunities. That's how I, that's my lens of, of how I've tried to figure it out. So I would say more on a macro level, what I really enjoyed is figuring that out about 12 years ago, I was on the talent side representing and creating business plans for talent and started a business, a celebrity consulting business within Octagon, teaching nonprofits and brands uh, when to use talent, when to use an influencer before there was a word influencer, what they're worth, how, how best to use them to make the program mutually beneficial versus just a short-term publicity gain. Uh, and that's that's fortunately been that's come in the forms of Super Bowl ads and and spots run during Grammys and Oscars. Um, if you ask me to pick though specifics, I think it's around the work we did with cause and nonprofit because I think there's a value that that talent can bring that really help. So I was fortunate. I started the Ronald McDonald House Friends of um, Celebrity Friends program. 15 years ago, um, which has led to ongoing work nationally and certainly in local markets for the Ronald McDonald House. Um, I was fortunate to um, work with the Center for Medicare and helped President Obama's Affordable Care Act in mm. creating partnerships with um, Magic and LeBron um, and others around that. And then in the last several years, um, through Mrs. Obama, she was the honorary chair of the Partnership for Healthy America. She had a big Let's Move and Fruits and Vegetables mm -hmm. initiative. So uh, help deliver about 100 different celebrities and influencers to that initiative. So I, that's yeah. the space to me where you can use talent and their influence to push cause forward. We created a program. I created a program last spring. I can't believe it's a year thinking of COVID um, called Athletes for COVID Relief. And we mm. put created 200 different athletes donating signed items and raised several hundred thousand dollars so that stuff actually excites me yeah, no, a little bit it. more than the brand campaign which there's been a lot of i love that i love i love how you've turned the, the work you're doing into into good so so you mentioned covid so i'm guessing that your industry has been disrupted a little bit due to covid so talk to me a little bit about the changes that you've had to deal with over the last 12 months and then what do you see lying ahead yeah mass disruption in sports entertainment the world, our, our world um, lives around fans and live fans and that excitement. Um, less disruption on the talent side where they're still playing, may not have full houses, 
but they're fortunate to have jobs because they're able to still play. There was disruption nine months ago and, and some games were shortened, but, but they're playing. All the sports are playing harder for the event side of the business, something that you may own or manage. And, and there were a lot of those events that were canceled or postponed last year. And same on the brand side, uh, difficult to activate partnerships and programs when they're not playing. So everyone's had to be very creative and figure out how to, in a virtual world, um, how to do that and, and how to reach consumers directly. I, I would say that there's a lot of technology, technological advances that were here, that this disruption was going to happen anyways. It just put it at a light speed and had to change in months, let alone years or decades. I know when we lived in Los Angeles, my favorite place to go was Hollywood Bowl. So yeah. I don't feel so bad having moved away from it because I couldn't have gone there anyway this past <laughs> 12 months. <laughs> it's, it's going to be interesting to see what lies ahead. To your point, this is accelerated change. COVID's accelerated change. We're using technology differently and probably better than we did before. Certainly true in our industry. But what sort of what do you see coming coming ahead? What what, what are your predictions about your industry? Uh, more, more interaction with consumer to talent or consumer to team that is not on site. Um, just the, there's you, you see a lot of e-commerce and content startups that have really accelerated in that interaction. That's a lot. You're, you're seeing um, a lot of food tech and, and connected fitness and ways to uh, improve your well-being. Um, that's more and more uh, relevant with just mental health challenges yeah. that are that are living everywhere. Um, you're going to see more automation in venue, robotics, not just with cameras, but robotics making food, mm. and just from an efficiency and and flow of traffic. I think there'll be quite a bit of changes that way, and then we're all getting used to it. If it's Zoom or WebEx or Teams, there's just other ways that we're going to be interacting and communicating. And if you think four months from now or six months from now when the Olympics are going on, I can see a way that you're watching the Olympics on NBC, but you're also got a second screen Zoom where you're interacting with Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps while they're also commentating about track and field or swimming. And so I, yeah, Sorry. I just I think there's just more ways to be direct with people, and everyone's trying to figure that out. I think it's going to be a really interesting time to see what we hold on to from pre-COVID, but how mm. the world will change ahead. I, I think it's interesting. So I'm going to dial in on some Miami-specific questions for a little while, if you don't mind. So when Please. you look when you look back at your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor? Dr. Altman, and I love it now that he's his name is. Uh, on the entrepreneurship program that I'm fortunate to be on the advisory team for. Uh, it was Marketing 467. It was an entrepreneurship class. Um, it, it's one of the very few that just, it, it spoke to me because it, it really brought real life. I think we, we had to, uh, a choice of an airline to, to build and were you flying international or was it local and were you cheap or premium? And I just felt the real life example of it was really helpful and it brought in all the, the different pieces in pharma. You had the accounting and econ and marketing management, all of that fit in there. 
Um, so I've long admired uh, him, but that class I, I think about a lot. It's funny that the email I just had seen on before this call was to John, <laughs> to John. <laughs> so yeah. that's a good story. Now he, he, he's a great friend and colleague and he, he sends me uh, bits and pieces on a regular basis. So, he, so I was just responding to him before this call. So what subject did you least enjoy? Uh, I would say calculus, probably. Uh, <laughs> Good old five, calculus. Yeah. The old five-credit yeah. calculus mm. that everyone's required to take. I think if I knew, now I realize as I teach my kids that often it's not the subject, but it's learning how to think and analyze and problem solve. I Easier to say when you're 48 than when you're 18. Uh, I think if I understood that, maybe I would have uh, appreciated some of those classes differently. Um, I, at the time, you, you don't think that. And so it was more a frustration of, I don't understand it, or how am I going to use this in the real life, in, in real world? Um, so that, that was that was a challenge. Well, and I would say, you know, go ahead. You, you and those who are listening will be very pleased to know that we now have business calculus on the podcast. Right. <laughs> so, so I think whenever I talk to alum, that's often the course that comes up that haunted them for some reason, this calculus. Yeah. I took a, uh, I also took a music class. I will never remember the name of it, but it was, it was listening to, identifying some sort of classical music and understanding the history. And I learned after the first exam that my ears do not, do not listen and understand music. So I did not last long in that class. I fortunately it was very early on in the semester where I was able to make a switch. Um, I'm glad I learned that one quickly. Good, good to try. Good to try. So, <laughs> so why, why, why you're at Miami? What co-curricular activities were you, were you involved in? Yeah, I was in I was in a fraternity and I um, was the sports chair of the interfraternity council. Um, I was the uh, sports editor of the arena, the Greek newspaper, um, who, and my wife hired me. Also Miami editor, good. Yes, of course, <laughs> Miami murder. Um, she was, she was the editor-in-chief of the arena, Erica Trust. Um, and then uh, my junior year in college, uh, myself and three buddies, we opened a hot dog stand in the basement of CJ's bar. Um, Very good. <laughs> which which was a, a wonderful trade. I'm not sure what the rules were and if we were allowed to and food licenses, but ah, it was a, it was it. a bar yeah. 30 years ago. It was wonderful. All yeah. the buddies came in and sold dollar hot dogs downstairs on Thursday nights. I love it. Very, very good. Very good. So what was your favorite time of the day for class? Uh, four years of college, I never had one eight o'clock class. Um, by, by choice? By choice, <laughs> by choice. Um, I, I, I like the 10 a.m. class, good question. I, I like the 10 a.m., I like the mid-morning class. And I think junior and senior year, I on Tuesdays or Wednesdays did uh, like a six to 8.40 at night class. Um, and I thought early in the week to knock that out uh, seemed to work really well. Uh, I'm not sure I had a Friday class the last two years in college either. so. I try to play the system a little bit there. It's not a common choice for afternoons. <laughs> what, what was your favorite night of the week while at Miami? 
I, I guess I would say Thursday. Um, it just felt like in college, that's when the weekend starts. <laughs> um, and uh, it just gave you something to look forward to. But I, there, there's so many different things that you can do in Oxford that uh, all seven nights a week, there is something from a, a curric- extracurricular activity to a, a, a food or drink special at one of the establishments uptown. Um, so there's no shortage of a night. And I, and I thought what was great, I lived in a fraternity house for three years, sophomore, junior, and senior year. I think times have changed. Uh, and back then we had 60 people in the house. I'm not sure. I think landlords allow probably about 15. Probably true. <laughs> I, think I think they restrict. <laughs> <laughs> for, for good reasons, for good reasons. Um, but there were some, you know, 20 people didn't have classes on Tuesday. So Monday nights were a big night for them or, for, you know, so every you had the ability. Uh, the school was, I felt, large enough that if you wanted to find your own way and isolate, you could. And it was also really small that you could all, you could find anyone you wanted to at any time. And of course, this was ninety to ninety four, where you, we didn't have a phone. So if you wanted to go meet someone, you just went up to Skippers and or Bagel and <laughs> Deli, and they were there. So clearly two of your favorite places in town, right? <laughs> Wonderful places. I, I still um, regularly stay in touch with Andy uh, at Skippers. And, you know, I, I close every podcast on Beyond High Street or have with, you know, see at Skippers. That, that place was our cheers. Um, mm. It was mm. where we spent so much time that the, the it just felt like home and comfort and, we, we often, t- we talk often, my wife and our friends, both of our friends about going back and just sitting on those picnic benches or picnic tables and just watching students go back and forth and alumni coming in. It just feels like home. What was your favorite bagel? The Grego bagel that I still, I, you know, I, I asked, I've asked that question so many times too. And, and I, I get stumped on what is on it now because it's been so long, but the Grego bagel, because oft, often we were buying those bagels at 1.30 in the morning too. So. Anything was good at 1.30 in the That's morning. True. Right? <laughs> Could have just said, give me a plain steamed bagel and it would yeah, have been fine. <laughs> so you talked about living off campus for three years. What, what dorm were you in as a freshman? I was in Anderson 102, um, right in the bottom corner and uh, Harry's Dining Hall. And really enjoyed that experience. Mm-hmm. And my freshman roommate was a young man then, Mike Reed, uh, who was from, uh, I think the area was called Woodstock, Ohio. And his family had a farm and uh, that's what his family or his dad had uh, did for a living. And it was, we became great friends. It, it was the perfect roommate where we weren't gonna spend Friday and Saturday nights together but we could, we, we really enjoyed each other's company every single day. Yeah. And my background in history was very different than his. Uh, and I thought it was a, it was a great way to start a college experience. Just be, you know, learning about others, which is what the four years are about maturing and learning and, and getting those experiences. I think that is you know, the most important piece of those four years when you're on your own. I agree. So what was your favorite building on campus, not uptown? Um, I would, I was in, I was in Upham quite a bit for 
business class and certainly uh, famous for the Upham Arches and, and with the Miami merger, of course. Um, we, we studied at, uh, and, and got our nachos at, at the Shriver Center at the Res. Um, is it still called the Res? I'm not even sure. Now across the street is the, the massive student uh, building. Um, that's where we spent a lot of time. And I'll tell you, Harry's Dining Hall was awesome. I mean, that was the social that's place for, for, for freshmen. Um, and I'm trying to think from a sports, you know, I, I didn't mention when you asked about extracurriculars, my senior year, I was the only student on the uh, advisory committee to the new um, uh, athletic center um, down in South Quad. You know, when we were, when I was a student, it was Withrow and Goggin, and we didn't have that. So um, I always appreciated that those meet. So speaking of not having an eight o'clock class, those meetings were once every two or three weeks uh, at eight o'clock on Friday mornings. And so you had all these professors <laughs> yeah. and, and deans of schools and 21-year-old me Friday at 8 a.m. And so Professor Davidge, no longer at Miami, um, but he, he would know. And so I would, I would roll in at 7.59 and he would already have a seat open next to him with a cup of coffee, coffee, maybe two cups of coffee right there for me to have. Um, so he, at least he didn't he, call you out and ask you too many difficult questions. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, that would have been difficult at that time of the day. So, so when you look back, what was your most memorable experience, personal experience while you were a student? I, I, I think, I mean, two, two lifelong moments. I, I met my best friends in the fraternity and still um, incredibly close with a lot of them. We, we've done a lot of fun once every couple months, big Zoom calls over the past year. Um, that's been one of the positives of COVID, forcing some of that, which has been wonderful. Um, and meeting my wife. I mean, and both of those, I think we all realize as we get older, you know, you want to find a job that you're passionate about and you can excel at, but you know, friendship and family is, you know, will always rise above everything. And I developed both of those during those four years. If you were to look back at your time, what would you have done differently? You know, in a lot of the pods that I did, I asked a similar question and many talked about going to Luxembourg and, and the trip. And I never did that. And I, I know everyone that has, yeah. has said it's, it's really propelled them. Um, so in some ways, I would say that would have been a great experience to do. I struggled with leaving campus. I, I loved it so much. I, I have that fear of missing out. And I, I couldn't imagine not walking into the fraternity during lunchtime and seeing 10 guys mm -hmm. laughing about something. I, I thought I missed that. My wife went to... Mexico in the summer after her sophomore year. So I think if I did it again, I would have done an international experience. I probably would have done what she did and uh, did it in the summer. Do you get back to campus very often? So COVID hasn't helped. Uh, I think uh, I've been going back once or twice the last four or five years with the advisory work with uh, Tim Holcomb. And before that, the Cradle of Marketers with Jillian and that group. Um, when I was in my 20s, 
I went back and, and taught. I thought that was probably more of a excuse to get back and then call a couple of buddies to say, meet me in Oxford. Um, but, but over the last five years, I've tried to come back and um, interact with peers, but also just mentor and help and recognize we were all in that situation at, at some point in our life. I'll pick up on that again in a minute, but I, I, I still focusing on your time at Miami. Did you intern while you were there? What, what did you intern? What, what, what were the opportunities you had? I mean, you clearly did a lot. My, my, I had set, uh, I had internships every summer in college from, as I mentioned, a TV station to a radio station and then a PR firm. And then I got a job at, at the PR firm. So I, I didn't intern in college. Um, my path I felt was going to be a little bit different. I wasn't a traditional brand person in business. I did not go through the job fair because I had already had that job ahead of me. Um, so I had in my mind a path that I that I was planning on going. And I so I used the time when I wasn't with um, Erica or the buddies in school to do the, the sports editor or some of the things that I mentioned earlier. I like that. So as you've mentioned, you know, Beyond High Street was a podcast you started. So tell me about that. What, what got you into, well, not so much podcasting, but that podcast? Because I know you do a lot of podcasts. Why Beyond yeah, High I, Street? I, after going back and participating in the cradle of, of marketers a number of times, I thought there was an opportunity to do more mentorship, um, but virtually that we didn't need to, it, that I, I couldn't believe that I had to go to Oxford, selfishly speaking of myself, to mentor and, and figure out that relationship. So really just try to figure out what was the best way to increase the number of mentor-mentee experiences that would benefit a student, hopefully give professors um, some real, uh, real world knowledge from others in their field, and also get get alumni feeling more comfortable back and bringing them back to the nostalgia, which hopefully helps bringing them back on campus and guest lecturing and fundraising and and the next generation of students. And I, I have a good friend Gary Braun who lives out in D.C. with me, and I said, "Help me out. Come to my office. If I want to start a podcast, what do I need?" And he sat in my office and went on Amazon and bought a few things and a number of items just showed up two days later. And beyond high street, just the name, just, it just popped. It just felt, it was very clear to anyone from Miami. High street is everything. And I, I would venture that the last, that's the last place you are on campus as you leave. And you're almost like waving to your favorite restaurant and your favorite bar on your way out. And so beyond high street just felt, um, felt right. Yeah. And you got to a hundred episodes, I believe. I, I got almost to a hundred. I think you're going to get us to a hundred here very <laughs> shortly. Um, and it was great. I, uh, there were a number of friends from school and classmates that have done wonderful things. And uh, and I also got to meet a, a number of people. And I think the age group is anywhere from like 23 to 65. And so the experiences, everyone, everyone sounds similar in their passion to Miami, yet all of their personal experiences and what drives them are, are very different. Uh, and that is what I really enjoyed. I loved hearing, you know, 
why someone majored in Spanish, but then became an author or why someone majored in history and started a business in telecom. Um, and, and just the, the constant learning. I heard that over and over that at Miami and with peers and friends and if you're 20, 30 or 50 or 60, just the, the desire to get better. Uh, we we have an incredible students and alumni. It's, it's, it's mm. unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. I want to come back. You were talking about mentoring marketing students. Can you talk a little bit about the experience you've had mentoring our students, You know what you've learned from them and what you've imparted to them? They're smarter than I was when I was 18. That's for sure. I, I all, all kids um, in Miami and just all kids at all ages, they... they um, there's so much information available. It's, it's, it's unfortunate in some ways that they don't have to go seek it. Um, and it's there, but in other ways, they're able to grasp so much more information so quickly. I see that with my three kids. Um, and so I, I'm constantly amazed at what they know at what age. And you asked what I did in terms of internships. And I don't even I mean internships. And, and I was fortunate I had them in the summer, but they certainly weren't a thing like now where that's that's part of your four-year experience. It really sets you up for that job coming out of school. Um, so I, as I said, I've been, I've been amazed at that. Uh, the questions they ask uh, is very different, you know, or are, are very different. I would say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was at Octagon still, um, people would ask, how I got my job and do I have job openings? Yeah. And now I can go through 30 minute conversations with somebody from Miami, a 19 year old from Miami. They don't ask one question about an internship or one question about a job. And they, they know, I know that's why a lot of the conversations are happening, but they, they wanna share their experiences and what matters to them and how they think about the world. And they wanna know the problems that, I face every day and how I think about them, they're, uh, they're more conversational, they're mm. more intellectual. Um, and I, I enjoy that. It makes the conversation from a mentor side greater too. You want to enjoy those. I love, I mean, there, there hasn't been, in my professional lifetime, there hasn't been a greater time than now to learn from a 19-year-old. I agree. A 48-year-old, I did not grow up with TikTok first. Now I have a 17, 14, and 11-year-old, so I can get that experience in my household. But but a 19-year-old or an 18 to 22-year-old, what they have grown up with, with the digital era and social platforms and an at-first mentality, they know a lot more. I, mean, I think, Jenny, when we were younger, you we got promoted, of course, by your knowledge, but your knowledge came with age and experience. Right. And I th that, of course, will always be, but it, the knowledge you get, you can get way earlier. You don't need to be in a field for 10 years for it because TikTok wasn't here 10 years ago. Exactly. TikTok wasn't here two years ago.
And to your point, just the way our students interact with technology, it's, it's mind-blowing sometimes just to see what they do. So staying with the subject of service to the school, you serve on the, the Altman Institute board. Talk to me about why, what drew you to that? Um, you've already hinted at that partly perhaps because of John Altman and the impact he had on you, but talk to me about why the board and, and um, your, what your contribution is and how you're enjoying that relationship. Yeah, so now at Octagon, I... I lead our venture business and it's not necessarily venture capital, but more of where should our business be in five years? Um, where should we invest? Where should we divest and accelerate um, or not? And, and that's what really excites me about this era we live in now, this passion economy era and this um, power to the people and the sense of entrepreneurship and, and the desire to go create. And I love what Tim's doing. Tim, Tim brings a real world and goes back to my thoughts on, on Altman of a real world practical experience for these students, which I think is, is wonderful and so needed. And I care less if, they come, if a student comes out of the program and starts a business, because not every student's going to do that. But they are going to come out with problem-solving skills, an analytical mind, the ability to interact and communicate with each other, um, and try to solve a problem two or three uh, steps away. And I think all of those matter so much. It matters in your marriage and raising kids and your friends and the youth sports teams your kids play as well as the professional side. So the, the program really speaks to me. Yeah. And I, I also enjoy getting back to campus with that and, and sitting with, with some friends, Lisa Dahmer uh, was a classmate, Greg Van Kirk's on it with me. He was a fraternity brother, uh, Jeff Cadillac yeah. was on there. Who's, whose wife was, a, was my wife was a bridesmaid, you know? So th there's a lot of, you know, we're 25 plus years out of yeah. Miami. And we come back to town and you would think we're 20 and the stories just roll and, and hopefully we're able to help the school too. Oh, I love it. I love it. So a lot of this, you were talking about the students don't always ask you about the, the obvious questions. Um, many of our students are really focused on a lot of wellness and work-life balance, and they're really intrigued about that as, as a subject. So talk to me about what does work-life balance mean to you and how do you strike some kind of balance? I coached my three kids in soccer, as I said, and by doing that, um, it forced me to put practices and games in a calendar, like a work meeting. So that that's helped set a day. I am very passionate about my, my home life and certainly my kids and try not to miss anything. Um, I, I used to, for years when I was coaching, I didn't travel on Mondays or didn't travel on Wednesdays and traveled quite a bit, but just worked, did your best work around it. Um, I, everyone has their own work-life balance and I don't think it is uh, a number. I don't think it's an hours in a day or a day of the week. I think it's what suits you um, and what suits your family and what you're trying to achieve. I do think COVID's made it harder for me because I've been at home for 12 months besides periodically stopping in the office for a little bit, for the most part, not there. 
And it's easier to stay um, stuck on a computer or stuck on a phone when you when you're in the same place. And I don't need to walk. I could walk 20 feet to get food and back. And so that's been a challenge for me that I've had to figure out. Um, and at, at different age for me or different life cycles with kids, I think have changed that too. I love working early on Saturday mornings and early on Sunday mornings. Mm. Kids are sleeping. There's nothing else going on here. And so sometimes I give up work later in a day and a weekday because I know I'm going to do it then too. But it, like I said before, I think it's more of a, a personal thing and, and what you're trying to achieve and, and what you want to accomplish with your family, which at the end of the day matters more. I agree. It's, it's a personal choice and we all do it differently. So I want to move on more advice for our students who might be listening. Yeah. And, and I want to ask the question in two parts. So one, what advice would you give incoming freshmen to Miami? And what advice would you give someone who's just recently entered the workforce? Yeah, so the, uh, some, some of this probably pertains to both, but uh, so I'm going to just start with one that you could use for both. And that's your Rolodex and networking ability. You, when you walk onto Miami's campus, you have 15,000-ish students. Or Jenny, what's the, is that, am I right? Is it around 15, a little more than that maybe? Uh, just you're pushing 20, you're close to wow. 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Four and that's, a half thousand in the business school, can you believe it? Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Mm. Wow. All right, so <laughs> almost 20,000. I mean, that's that's a huge network and Rolodex, <coughs> excuse me, to start with. Excuse me one second. Live podcasting while I'm going to start coughing. Um, that's a huge network to start with. And and just... Just while David stuck out, no, for those listening, we're, we're four and a half thousand uh, people at the farmer school. So we've grown quite a lot and we've got um, about 17 and a half to 18,000 students at, at Miami University. So I know we've been on a great growth path for the farmer school. You know, we've had three record intakes of students, including um, what, what looks like another record coming up in the fall. So we're in, in good shape and um, bursting at the seams at the farmer building, in fact, needing, needing to figure out what to do about that. So David's back with us. He's just finished choking, I think. <laughs> oh my God. Live, live, live conversations. Um, 20,000 20, people to network with. Um, you're of course not gonna do that, all of those, but different experiences, different geographies, different passions, the amount of interaction you ha have the potential to do over the next 40 years is enormous. Uh, and I think it's hard when you're 18 to think like that. It's just not, just not how we're wired. But the more you can stress that, and I think, oh, and there's the doggy barking, which it is more live. Um, when, when you go back to campus, you see there's a lot more classroom interaction and projects. And I love that. Yeah. Because the more you can interact with people, I think that's helpful. And I have found, um, especially for someone who's just graduating, taking advantage of the Miami alumni base, it's there for you. If you put subject, if you put Miami University in the subject of an email, every single person will read it. It doesn't matter if 
they're a CEO or a 22-year-old account executive. Every single one will read it. Now it's on you to figure out what the next couple lines are and make it that that person responds and figure out a reason why you need to have a first, second, third, or more conversation. But everyone's going to read it. And so there's a power to that. And, you know, the world of Facebook and Instagram and Snap and Twitter uh, in some ways is overwhelming, but in other ways, it, everyone's right there. It's very easy to find out anything you want about anyone at any time. So learn that, take advantage of that, and then go meet the, it's not just enough to do that, then go meet the person. Um, I think that is, I think that is really important. I would say also for someone who is coming out, set some attainable goals. Um, people always say, well, where do you see yourself in 10 years? If you know where you're going to be in 10 years, you figured out something that really, I mean, maybe you're going to be a doctor. And so that that's a logical, most people have no idea where they're going to be in 10 years. So no, where are you going to be in six months? Where are you going to be in 18 months? What, what is the one thing personally you're trying to achieve in the next 12 months? What's the one thing that you want to learn or grow or figure out in business over the next two years? If you can, if you can break life into smaller bites like that, I think it helps you achieve some of those goals. Uh, and I, I would do that. And so when, when you hear me say this, and as I think about it, as I'm talking, uh, a lot of it just goes back to creating opportunities and problem solving and communications and interactions. It's not a class. It's, it's using the class to do all of those things. I talk about at Miami. So this is another thing that I would impress on anybody is I, I always wish that improv was a mandatory class in college. I think it should be a mandatory class in high school too. I, to a freshman coming in, figure out ways where you can interact and stand in front of a room and talk to people. Mm. That is an essential life skill in every single thing we do. And yes, we all text more than we did 10 years ago and there was no such thing 20 years ago. We're also in person a lot. So we, we shouldn't fool ourselves to say that the next generation of kids, they can't speak. Of course they can. They, they've just grown up with tech first. We, we didn't grow up with tech first. But to practice that, those skills, I think can really help you in the future in anything you do. I love it. And you, I mean, to your point, you have to be able to hold an audience. I mean, that's just what you need to be able to do. So we're coming up time, David, but I just want to thank you so much for the gift of your time to allow us to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of the Pharma School of Business is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, faculty, staff, and other alumni. So thank you so much. Go well as you continue your journey beyond high street. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll see you at Skippers real soon. <laughs>